Well, good morning to one and all here today and to those joining with us on our podcast service. Welcome to the House of God here at Christian Outreach Centre here in Charters Towers. You're all very welcome and I trust you feel really, really at home. I'd like if you will go to uh, 2 Kings and chapter 2. And uh, I've got an exciting message this morning, a flow on from the midweek message this morning. Uh, from uh, the midweek message, Where is uh, the Lord God of Elijah is the title of the message. And, uh, and uh, so I'd like to read just 2 Kings and chapter 2 and verse 11, that it happened as they continued on. So this is Elijah and Elisha, two prophets, the senior prophet and the junior prophet walking. And uh, uh, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah, that's his cloak, and that had fallen from him. And he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And the title of my message this morning is, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And as I said, the the title of my message midweek was the days of Elijah, describing the days of the great apostasy in the northern kingdom of Israel. And 1 Kings chapter 16 brings us to the throne, the most wicked of kings, Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And this political husband and wife team, along with the false priesthood, they led the people in a mass exodus of people away from God. And it all happened basically in a generation. But God raised up a hard-headed prophet with a big heart. Who knows, you've got to be a hard-headed prophet with a big heart to make any change for the kingdom of God these days. You've got to be soft towards the Lord, but you have to be thick-skinned. In actual fact, there needs to be cattle roaming the Northern Territory looking for a hide as thick as yours to survive, amen? And for a Christian these days, it's good to have a thick skin, amen? And so, uh, but a prophet who defied a king in his empire and brought the kingdom to its knees. Who remembers the movie Gladiator? And they said, oh, amazing story, isn't it? He said, a a general who became a slave, a slave who became a gladiator, and a gladiator who defied an empire. But if we hear it, we have in this story of Elijah, a man who brought, who defied a whole empire and brought a whole kingdom to its knees. This was the role of the prophet uh, Elijah. And so this morning's message is a a part two of the days of Elijah, and it's titled, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? So I'd like to go to uh, 1 Kings chapter 16 and just recap on a couple of things before I go on to some new material. As I said in uh, in verse 29, 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse reading from verse 29, and I'll paraphrase quite a few of these verses for the sake of time. And it was the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. 
So this very, very wicked king called Ahab, he reigned for 22 years. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. More than, or, more than Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was the first king of the Israel. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of, of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. And so Jezebel was the daughter of the chief Phoenician uh, priest of Baal. And then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. So in the heart of Israel, the country itself, they built a temple to a foreign god. Ahab made a wooden image, and he did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to bring to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So it's not a small thing. And, um, and so, and, and, in, and going then from uh, into chapter 17 and verse 1, it says, Then Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, so this is Elijah the prophet, and he says to the king of the land, he had a lot of guts, he had a lot of intestinal fortitude. He says, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years, except my word. In other words, he said to King Ahab, It's not going to rain until I say so. And it defied all those foreign, wicked uh, uh, priesthood and false gods of the day. God raised up a hard-headed prophet with a big heart to meet the occasion, to meet with the wickedness of the land at that time. And so what we had here is a counterfeit political and a religious system in the country of Baal, in the country of Israel. And uh, they set up these false idols and these places of worship. They built golden calves in two locations. So the people didn't have to go to Jerusalem for authentic worship. And so it was a, a political counterfeit religious system designed. And it was to control the people and maintain political power. Does it sound familiar to you? It goes on in our political system this very day. Religion brings people into bondage, and that's what it was designed to do. But Jesus and this liberating message of the gospel sets people free, amen? That's what Jesus came to do. He came to set us free. It's not religion. This is not religion. Christianity, in its truest form, in gospel form, is not a religion. It doesn't bring people into bondage, but it sets people free. It sets people, people to be who God intended you to be. You will feel, fulfill your greatest potential when you are living for God. Amen? It's not bondage which Jesus Christ will bring you into, but a liberty. Amen? And so Ahab became a king who relinquished not his throne, but his authority. In effect, he abdicated position physically, but he still sat on the throne. Amen? And so that's what we have in, in, in our political situations these days. People who sit in places of a who uh, have got a positions of power, but they have relinquished their authority and become puppet kings to other influences. Now, Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab, and she was the daughter of a Phoenician king and high priest of Baal worship. This is no small thing to occur in a country who was set aside for God. She introduced pagan practice, practices 
absolutely abominable practices on an unprecedented scale, stealing a word from our local media now, over the entire northern kingdom, and her influence over her, her husband king was immense. And it's interesting to note, because we speak much about Jezebel, and uh, it's interesting to note that for a Jezebel to operate, there also must be an Ahab. Think about that for a moment. We always speak about the usurping queen Jezebel and her wickedness and depravity and all that sort of stuff. But that could not happen unless there was an Ahab. And without an Ahab, there can be no Jezebel. And so I see in this modern era of time, there is an emasculation of leadership, in, and it is a phenomena in recent times over the last two decades here in the West, amen, and right throughout the whole of the world. There is an emasculation of male leadership throughout the entire world. And men, for many reasons, have abdicated their position through, many, through, through various reasons, but Jezebel, in effect, loads the gun for an Ahab to fire. When you read through here, you can see that. She loads a gun and Ahab fires the bullets. A Jezebel operates, it influences, it subverts, it manipulates, and ultimately controls through a puppet king or organization and does not rule by legitimate means. A Jezebel spirit operating through a political system such as we have in the world today, right throughout, is not by legitimate means. Fear, intimidation, seduction, coercion, death threats, lies and deceit, oh, it's quite a concoction, isn't it? All the ingredients for what I call a great Hollywood drama, and it is definitely a picture of our modern political system, a system that is totally hijacked by unelected bodies. And that is exactly what happened in Israel at this time. Enter stage the vessel prepared of the Lord, the prophet Elijah. And there is no situation on the earth that is too big for God. Amen? No situation. Man may, have, may, may think he has his will, but God will have his way. And so to confront the apostasy of the day, God raised up a hairy man dressed in camel's hair. Oh, he went to great expense. And he ate locusts and wild honey. He lived in the wilderness and used the caverns, caves and rocky gorges and as an amphitheater and a cathedral of praise. This was the desert firebrand called the prophet Elijah. Oh, God spared no expense. Gave him a new vest of camel's hair every year, I suppose. But he owned nothing and he had nothing to lose. Isn't that a good recipe for success? When people start out with nothing, they've got nothing to lose, and they seem to operate at a different level of intensity than everybody else, doesn't they? They're so focused. People say, oh, you've got a multi-skill, you've got a multi-skill, but I've found people who are on a mission, they're focused, amen? Oh, they are. Elijah lived in the wilderness, so his home, the bank could not foreclose. He ate locusts and wild honey, honey, so they couldn't starve him out. Oh, it's good to have nothing to lose, isn't it? He wore a hairy garment of animal skin, so losing his Myers clothing department store membership was of no concern. They couldn't steal anything from him that he couldn't afford to lose. He had no reputation, so the media couldn't destroy him. He had no books to sell and no monthly subscriptions to cancel. That is a recipe for success. If you've got nothing to lose, this is a recipe for success. This is good news to people who want to sell out for God. 
And they said, if these are the days of Elijah, then you are the Elijahs of the day. Look around. Look to the person next to you and say, you are the Elijah of the day. Oh, come on. Gosh, that was not much, not much conviction in that. You are the Elijahs of the day. People of conviction, people with nothing to lose. His only ambition was to please God. Oh, what could God do with somebody if all he wanted to do was please God? Oh, could God build your business? Oh, 10 times bigger than you could think. If you would sell out to God, who knows what God could do through a person who was totally committed to him. John the Baptist, who lived in the same neighborhood in the spirit of Elijah in the wilderness, said, I must decrease so that he may increase. That's a recipe for success. Elijah was so successful in his prophetic calling because he sold out totally to God. What could God do with you and I today in the greatest days of apostasy in which we live? We are living in the days of Elijah at this time. You simply cannot kill a man like that because he's already dead to the things of the earth. You know, you cannot kill a person who is already dead to the things of this earth. The reason why we are so manipulated so easily is because we not we've not we've counted the cost and we said, "Oh, that's too high. I'm hanging on to this and I'm hanging on to that." But who would relinquish everything unto God and sell out to God? He is gripped by a heavenly vision. Is a person like Elijah? Paul said, "I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision." That's why he's. He received the 40 lashes minus one five times, shipwrecked three times, in the open oceans, fastings, out in the cold and in the heat. You couldn't kill a man like Paul because he had a a vision only for the Lord. What would God do for us if we would sell out for God? Oh, I see people with tremendous abilities and capabilities and resources, but there's a holding back. It's not what God is, it's not so much what you give, but what your potential is. Amen? That determines what you're holding back. Oh, if we went through to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, I'll recap on that. And Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 is very interesting. It's the last book in the Old Testament before the 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was no writing prophet. And the voice of the Lord says was not heard. And he says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And it's interesting to to know that Malachi actually means the word my messenger. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. That, of course, is Jesus Christ. He is the messenger of the covenant. In whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, and then it goes on to say in verse 7, return to me and I will return to you. The closing verses, the last two verses in the whole of the Old Testament in the same book read, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Why is it a coming and dreadful day? Because it is a, it is a, a great and dreadful day. It is a great day when the Lord returns for those who can be found in Christ. It is a wonderful day. But is it a ter- it's an absolute dreadful day, one full of dread. That's what dreadful means. Because when the Lord returns, and for those who are not in Christ, they will be eternally separated from the Lord. And so you have two reactions in the day of the Lord. A great day for those who have given their lives to Christ, but a terrible day for those who have never done that. 
And so the same waters that delivered believing Noah were the same waters that destroyed a whole generation. Amen? Who looked for the waters with glee on that day? Noah and, his, and, and the family of eight in total did. And the Lord himself closed the door to the ark. Because had it been up to Noah, he would have left it open and said, Oh, Lord, just let a few more on. But it was the Lord who closed the door of the ark. And so too, this dispensation of time, the Lord will close the door on this dispensation of time. And it will happen in the inkling and the blinking of an eye. Amen? I'm not sure if that's a word, an inkling of an eye. But I've just invented that one, okay? And so it is. The words of the prophet Malachi closed the whole... Uh, uh, Old Testament period and dispensation with these words. And the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he says, and he will return the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. It's incredible, isn't it? That the Lord in this day will return the hearts of the children to the fathers. And even though our whole modern system has done its best to absolutely separate men from God and God from men, the hearts of the father and the heart of the father to the children. And so, behold he, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, is coming. And it has a twofold uh, a message here because Jesus didn't come once, did he? He came twice. He's coming twice. And so John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. That's true, isn't it? And so in this last end time dispensation, when before Jesus comes the second time, the spirit of Elijah will be upon the earth again. And I believe that God is raising up people in the spirit of Elijah. That same spirit that was on John the Baptist will be also on the church. Are you ready for the spirit of Elijah to come upon your life? To come upon you personally? That you would possess it for yourself? Is there anybody here who is interested in that concept? But what is our response to the divine calling of our day to usher in this great end time revival and reformation? That the global order cannot stop, stifle, squash or crush. Amen? Can you say that? Or we cannot stop, stifle, squash or crush. Amen? You will not be able to be stopped, stifled, squashed or crushed. Turn to the person next to you and say, you cannot be stopped, stifled, squashed, or crushed. <laughs> it's quite a mouthful, isn't it? You will have an indomitable spirit. You have, I'd like to make that present tense. You have a spirit of Elijah on you. Amen? Embrace it. Because that is what is required in this end time to stand against the apostasy that is on the earth today and to usher in a global revival and reformation. Amen. Oh, there's a reformation coming. A glorious reformation coming. And the more that men try to crush what God wants to do, the more the Lord sits in the heavens and just laughs. He just laughs. He just laughs. As for the kings of the earth, let us be reminded by Proverbs 21.1. I preached this message years ago here in this place. And it says, the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. These kings of the earth, the Bible says the nations are as a drop in the bucket. That's all it is. In the sight of the Lord, they are as nothing. They are as a breath. They are as the mist which rises in the valley in the morning and is gone by 7.30 in the morning. Amen. It comes and goes. 
And so the, the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands. And so the question or the statement that I put you to today, and I've mentioned it numerous times, if these are the days of Elijah, when you read uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, right through to 2 Kings chapters, right through to chapters 4 and 5, then you are the Elijahs of the day. I've said it over and over and over. A pastor or Rabbi Jonathan Kahn on the global scene in the presidential prayer breakfast on the foot of, the, of, the, of, of, the, of Parliament in the United States declared it to be so. He said, if these are the days of Elijah, then you are the Elijahs of the day. We need to see ourselves a little bit differently. I want to see, you, see yourself more robust, more fearless. It's not, not that Elijah didn't have any of those human things. He, had, he was a man just like you and I. But God called him and God anointed him. Amen. What is our response then? And so our response, I would say, it would be the same as those of Elijah's protege and his name was Elisha. Amen. Who remembers Elisha? And so I'd like to go to 1 Kings chapter 19. Flicking back a little bit again. 1 Kings and chapter 19. I thought I had that marked, but I haven't. And it was after um, Elijah was on the mountain, he'd killed the 450 prophets of Baal, and he was in great fear for his life because Jezebel said she would kill him, amen? And so he went out and he went to uh, the mountain of Moses, actually, at Horeb in the Arabian, Arabian wilderness. And in verse 15, it says, Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazel as over, uh, king over Syria. Who anointed the king? It was God's prophet. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nemishi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And so, who, who, who was to appoint Elisha? It was through the words of Elijah, but the appointment came from God himself. And so, um, let me just catch up with myself and my notes. But the word of the Lord to Elijah, go and anoint Elisha, meaning that it was God's appointment. And he threw his own cloak onto a man plowing in the field, and that man was Elisha. And so he departed from there, found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. His mantle is, is his cloak, his camel-haired cloak, like a big dressing gown, I suppose. Big, hairy, filthy, wind-torn, sun-bleached, sun uh, sand-driven camel's hair's cloak. What a mouthful of descriptions there. Totally unprepared. Totally unprepared. It wasn't a pretty thing, but it was Elijah's mantle. And you see, that Elijah, 
that that mantle of Elijah is available to you and I today. And we actually need that mantle. Another word for that mantle is the anointing. You need Elijah's anointing to be an Elijah of the day. And he said, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And uh, verse 21, so Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. What a fantastic thing to do, amen? And so uh, uh, we see that uh, both Elijah as well as Elisha It was revealed to the prophets in the day when he was to be taken up into heaven. It was revealed to the prophets in Gilgal and Jericho. And everybody was aware that Elijah would be taken up into heaven. And that the baton would be passed on. And it was common knowledge. And it was divine revelation which was accepted as fact. Amen? It was common knowledge that he was going to be taken up. And when you get divine revelation, the Bible says faith calls those things that aren't as though they are. And it was divine revelation accepted as fact. When God gives you a word that you can do something, it can be accepted as fact. The people say of this earth, oh, that's not wise. I believe it when I see it. But a person of faith says, I I believe it, therefore I shall see it. You see, it's totally in reverse. Totally in reverse. And so... And so, we can see then that Elisha fully embraced the calling and cut the ties with the past when he, there was no turning back with Elisha, was it? He received the word of God, he received the mantle thrown over him, Elijah passed by him, threw on his mantle, what did he do? He went back to his father's house, he burnt the plough, the timber plough, and he killed the fattened calf, and he destroyed, he basically, and I preached in this, another message called burning the ships. In other words, he burnt the past to make provision for the future. And too often we have a plan B. In our lives, God has given us a word. If God has given you word, you don't need a plan B. A plan B is a work of the flesh. Plan A given by God is a work of the spirit. Amen? What do you walk in? Are you going to walk on both sides of the fence? It's a very precarious way to live your life. Amen? Living both sides, straddling the fence, a barbed wire fence in particular. You don't want to straddle the the flesh and the spirit at the same time. Amen? You don't want to do that. You want to live for God. It's a life in the spirit. That's what we're called to do. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so the Elishas, the Elishas of the day knew what it was to put an end to their past. And if you've come to Jesus Christ, the cross puts an end to the past and gives you a brand new future, amen? And it is a glorious future in Jesus Christ. But to live to the fullest often means to walk away from your past. Leave the past where it should be in the past, amen? Look back, but don't stare. And so then it says that he went on and poured water on the hands and feet of Elijah. And I would say that Becoming uh, Elijah's protege, this wild man from the wilderness, looking after and washing the hands and feet of Elijah would not have been an easy task. 
Who knows that? You can, I've walked with great men and women of God over the years, and at times it has not been an easy task. They're so focused on what God gives them to do, amen? And, they, and they're not always the easiest people to live with. Prophetic people, and uh, they're a bit like D9 bulldozers, amen? Who knows that after a D9 bulldozer comes through, there's a lot of picking up sticks and rocks after them. And more of the finesse and all that sort of, the pastoral work begins after a prophet in town has been there, amen? Comes in and picks up the pieces. Prophets, amen? It doesn't say perfection. We're all people, amen? And so, but he was, uh, and, and, and before he was taken up into heaven, Elijah, Elijah said to him, what can I do for you? And he said, he said, I want a double portion of your anointing, amen? A double portion of your anointing. So he was asking something from Elijah, which he didn't, which Elijah didn't have himself. Elijah didn't have a double portion to give him. But he prayed in faith, amen, and Elisha received in faith that double portion anointing. And as soon as Elijah was taken up in heaven in 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, let's go there for a minute, 2 Kings in chapter 2. And I do go from the first and second kings because it's a story of a, about two prophets. Amen. And he says, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. This is in second kings chapter two and verse nine. So he said, you've asked a hard thing. Why is it a hard thing? Because he said he, was try, he had to pray and release something to Elisha that he himself did not at this time have. He didn't have that double portion. He had to believe for it to be imparted, and Elisha had to believe to, for it to be received. You see how faith had to work? It's not just the exercise of one person's faith, but the exercise of two people's faith. Then it shall happen as they continued on and talked. Then suddenly the chariot of fire appeared with the horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up into a whirlwind into heaven. What a glorious departure! There is only one other man in Scripture who it says did not see death, and that was Enoch. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God for 300 years, and then he was no more, for God took him. And so the two witnesses in the book of Revelations are believed to be Enoch and Elijah, because both of those men have never seen death. And we, we are, people who have died and gone on to be with the Lord are in a spiritual state at this time till they receive their heavenly body, amen? But Elijah and Enoch have their bodies still, amen? Isn't that an interesting thought to have? Elisha saw Elijah being talked, uh, taken up and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more and and so he took hold of his clothes and tore them into two pieces. Elisha saw Elijah being taken up into heaven and he instantly, but it was not from grief nor remorse, but what Elisha was doing was making provision to receive Elijah's mantle. The anointing that was on Elijah was to be received. And so he ripped off his own cloak he destroyed it, ready to receive. So Elisha was a person who was sold out to God, absolutely sold out to God. And then and he also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from the chariot. 
So Elijah was whisked up into heaven by uh, horses and chariots and whirlwind of fire. His mantle or his cloak dropped to the ground and Elisha grabbed hold of that cloak and he wound it up and he went back to the Jordan River and he struck the, the Jordan River and then he exclaimed, not in a word of complaint, but he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? When was the last time you and I prayed like that? This morning I got up at 3.30. This morning I was awake at 3 waiting for my alarm clock to go off. I was excited about bringing this message. And uh, I went to my computer and turned it on, but it didn't go on. And I've got thousands of notes in there, hundreds of sermons, notes and topics and all my things. I've got a register and it's been there for years now. Hundreds of messages, hundreds of the things. All my notes, all my thoughts are in that computer. I went to turn on the computer and nothing happened. For 45 minutes, nothing happened, amen? Nothing happened. I went to my old computer, turned it on and it was started printing in Hebrew. I'm mean, how did that happen? I don't even know, but I've seen these things happen over and over and over in years gone by, amen? Over and over and over. And then the Lord says, what about your message this morning? And so I turned to the computer. I laid my hands on the computer and I said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? I pray, speak life into this thing. I pressed the button and instantly it came on. Instantly it came on. 45 minutes, I was pressing buttons, plugging the power back in and this and that. Nothing. Blank screen. I could not see a thing. I prayed, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And then I got that, oh, as my... <laughs> Glorious, isn't it? Glorious. Glorious. It's happened to me many times over the years. Years ago, 25 years ago, I came into my home at 7.15 at night after working all day. I used to work massive days in those years. And I said, the Lord's going to give me 5,000 bucks. And the family said, well, that's a good thing. What are you going to do? I said, I'm going out to pray. So I went out to pray that night on the paddock. First thing in the morning, 7.15, I arrived already. I'd been out since 4 in the morning again. Came back for breakfast at 7.15 in the morning. This is 12 hours later, almost to the minute. The phone rang. He said, Scott Waldock from Gribbon Realty. He said, Jeff, the people at Arlington Court really like you. I said, that's great, because I was looking for a house, but it was $5,000 too much. He said, they just rang me this morning. They said, they just dropped it another $5,000. Glorious, isn't it? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? When something's not working, that's what you can say. Your car's not ticking over. Something's not working. A contract's not coming through. A phone call's not coming through. You're having troubles with the solicitors. Trouble with the family. Trouble with the wife. This or that. You name it. We've got no shortage of troubles here in the house. Amen? We're all human. That's what makes us human. But when things come our way, you can say, where is the Lord God of Elijah? It was a word of faith that Elijah spoke, not a word of fear. Not of a word of exasperation, it was a declaration because the Bible says that as he hit the water and as he spoke, it was simultaneous and the waters began to part. It was Elijah's last miracle and it was Elisha's first miracle was the parting of the waters. Glorious, glorious. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? This is the spirit that God wants the church to walk in now. Not tomorrow, but today. 
When you go home, when you jump in the car, it is a, it is a now moment. Faith is a now moment. Vision is wonderful. It's all for the future. But faith is now. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he threw, and I remember when Elisha was called, uh, Elijah grabbed his cloak and threw it onto a man who was already working. He was plowing. The Bible speaks of plowing being prayer. Amen. Um, And he was a man in motion. Amen. And directing a person in motion is always easy because you can just redirect. God wants to see people who are in motion, not waiting, not just idle, not just sitting there and just doing nothing and waiting for God to move. But Elisha was a man who was already on the move. He was plowing. He was always and already a man of prayer. The Bible says, break up the fellow fellow ground of your cart. Who said that? Jeremiah. God said that to Jeremiah, didn't he? He said, break up the fellow ground of your heart. How do you do that? Through prayer. And so we see that Elisha is a man of prayer. Elisha's response, he had much to give up. And so the rich young ruler, when in in the presence of Jesus, went away sad because he had much treasure. But I want to say that Elisha was a rich man. He had 12 yoke of oxen. That is is not, to me, a, a poor person. Even in this day and age, 12 yoke of oxen is a huge amount of wealth. Amen? 12 yoke of oxen. He said, oh, he had nothing to give up. He was just one of those poor guys out in the desert. No, he wasn't. He was a man of influence and power and authority. And uh, he used his own timber plow to fire a sacrifice to the Lord. He fired up the past to make provision for the future. And sometimes you need to put a bonfire under the past and get on with your life. What are you waiting for? Said Matt Chivers when he was here the other day. Remember that? He said, some people here, what are you waiting for? It was a prophetic word for a couple of people here. And so he fully embraced the calling, cut ties with the past, and there was no turning back. He didn't hang on to plan B, but just proceeded with plan A and plan A only. Amen? It's a good message. It's a good message. And so, Tory's clothes, took up the mantle and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And so the sons of the prophets saw and witnessed that the spirit of Elijah rested on Elijah. And it was visible. The sons of the prophets witnessed this amazing moment when Elijah was taken up to heaven in verse 15. And the sons of the prophets could see that the same spirit that was on Elijah now rested on Elisha. And so that anointing, that mantle... Up here we got in Isaiah 27, it is the anointing. In other words, it is the mantle that destroys the yoke. The mantle is the anointing. And it says it came upon him. When you look at the scripture, it says it come upon him. And when you look at that and anything that comes upon in scripture, you can see that it is the anointing that comes upon a person as in Acts 1, 5 to 8. And so this man, this, and the, the Lord answered his prayer And he said, let that double portion rest upon me. And so he asked for a double portion. You see, uh, I would say Elisha was a spiritual glutton. Amen? He was a spiritual glutton. And I encourage people, it's very difficult to minister people who are not hungry. 
Oh, I'd rather minister to people who know absolutely nothing, not walk with God for one year, but are hungry and thirsty to move on with God. Amen? We need to, no matter where you are in God, we all need to progressing in God and be hungry for everything that God has for us. The gifts, the moving of the Spirit, the anointing and all these things. Signs, wonders and miracles. The Bible says you can have these things, move in these things, read about, research things about healing and deliverance and all these things and see the fullness of God operate in this church. And so we see Elijah did in his ministry eight major miracles. Eight major miracles. It's interesting to note that Elisha did 16 major miracles. And so the double portion was manifested in Elisha's life. Fully manifested. Dake's Dake's research Bible actually records Elijah's total 16 miracles and then goes on to explain that Elisha then went on to have 32 miracles. Amen? Because they just had different ways of working them out And uh, in Dakes, it was far more thorough. But Elisha did operate in in the double anointing. And I'd like to say, just quickly going through those eight major miracles of Elijah, in 1 Kings 17.1, we see that he shut up the heavens, causing a drought. And so we can see the spirit of Elijah had authority over the weather. You and I can have authority over the weather. I remember we were building uh, the Central Energy Plant Building, which was the largest of its kind in Australia, um, at the James Cook University about or was, uh, 2000, nearly 20 years ago. And I was a supervisor on that site a long time ago. And, uh, and we were pouring concrete, and the whole of the site, a couple thousand square metres, drained onto a central area where all the piping went through into the major so- section of that factory. It was, a, 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 it was a, a, an amazing job. But if it was to rain that morning when we were pouring concrete, it would have been an absolute fiasco because the catchment area all ran through an area as about as long as this and about eight foot wide. Amen? It would have been a torrential washout, very expensive, piping and lots of things all the way through it. It was raining everywhere else. In fact, it was raining on my way to work. It was raining all around the job site. The air was thick as thick as thick. We were all absolutely drenched. And we just stood there and we put my hands in the air and I said, Lord, hold the rain back. Let not one drop fall here this morning. It was raining all around the site. We can see it all around us. Not one drop of rain fell. That's a sort of authority. When you begin, maybe you look a fool. I don't care in front of concrete is what I look like. <laughs> It was amazing. But you can have, and Elijah did it. And so, we had, and so in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, we see that he multiplied flour and oil for the widow. And so we see that Elijah had authority over lack and the multiplication and provision of finance. I made the note here, he raised a widow's son from the dead. And so Elijah had an authority over death. He defeated the prophets of Baal, so I see that he had authority over demonic powers. He brought rain to end the drought, so he had authority over the curse. He destroyed 51 soldiers with fire, so he operated with signs. And then in the the next verses, then he brought fire and lightning, so we see signs and wonders operating together. 
And then in the last one there, he parted the waters of the Jordan, had authority over the physical laws of nature. Jules, do you want to come to the keys just for a moment? It's a wonderful message. I encourage you to get the midweek message because it is definitely a precursor and sets the scene for what I've discussed this morning. And so uh, just, uh, just in conclusion, two verses now. 2 Kings 3.11, and it says, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And so on this subject then of Elisha, there was something in addition to all the great signs and wonders and miracles. He also had a servant's heart. And I always challenge people uh, because many people ask, where do you worship? Where do you worship? But I think always the more pertinent question to ask of one another is, where do you serve? Where do you serve? Where do you have a vested interest in your Christian walk? Where do you have a vested interest with your resources that God has given you? Where are your gifts and abilities and talents invested in? And so I see this aspect in Elisha, this great prophet, and he's always walks out from the shadow of Elijah. Everybody knows Elijah, but not so much about Elisha. Worked in, uh, Elijah was definitely the groundbreaking prophet who confronted the apostasy of the day. And, but Elisha embraced that spirit of Elijah for himself, and God worked powerfully through him. I'd like to conclude with a scripture in the New Testament from James chapter 5 verses 15 to 18. I can go there quickly and find it. And so here we have the Lord's brother in the book of James. It's only about five chapters. It is five chapters long. I'll read from verses 15. And it says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven verse 16 confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed and it says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much isn't that beautiful the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man verse 17 Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I'd love if you would highlight that in your Bible. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And so when I read about Elijah and the death threats that were made on him by Jezebel after he cut down the 450 prophets of Baal, Elijah wasn't oblivious to fear. And we got this picture in our mind of the prophets of old and they were just absolutely fearless, almost like Terminator sort of people. Uh, but they weren't. They were very human. They weren't oblivious to intimidation. Certainly Elijah was not oblivious to it, nor the effects of threats and accusations. The Bible says he hungered and he thirsted, and he was exceedingly tired. And he nearly died in the wilderness had not the Lord provided for him something to drink and a few raisin cakes to eat. But Elijah was a man with a nature like yours and mine. I just pray if you're comfortable to do so, just stand to your feet.
Elijah was a man with a nature like yours and mine. He was very human, very human. He did amazing things. I pray that you put your hands out right now. If this word is witnessing to you right now, we live in exciting days. And we need that spirit of Elijah, the spirit of John the Baptist, that same spirit that Elisha embraced wholly. And he walked away from his past. There's a lot of dead wood in our past, and I encourage you to walk away from it. And when you speak to yourself in the midnight hour, if only I had done this, or if only I had done that. I've done plenty of that, and it's got me nowhere. But the Lord has got a future and a hope for each and every one of you here today. God has got a future and a hope for your marriage. He's got a future and a hope for your finance. There are people here with health issues. We're not oblivious to any of these things. We're all affected by them. There is people here who have maybe even got a foreclosure on your house, your finances or anything like this. I want to say you can strike the waters and say, where is the Lord God of Elijah? As I prayed over my computer this morning and while I was praying, I pressed that on button and it gloriously come to life after 45 minutes of absolutely no response. But God too wants you to pray over your own situations, over your children. Perhaps you think, oh, what could bring my children? They've been raised up in the things of God and they've not stepped into the house of the Lord for 15 years, Lord. What could bring them around? I just begin to pray that you would grab by faith and begin to declare over your family, where is the Lord God of Elijah? I pray, Father, my children to be released in Jesus' name to serve the God, to the living God. Amen. I pray in Jesus' name, speak over your finances and say, where is the Lord God of Elijah? To speak over your marriage and your relationships, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And begin to embrace the things that God has for you. And then the benefit to this whole community, when they see and witness what God has done for you, they'll begin to earnestly seek God for themselves. And I pray, Father, that in this house, you would raise up people in the spirit of Elijah, Lord, to break through the apostasy of this generation. A people, Lord, young people too, who would be bold in the things that come against us.